This afternoon, we deal with Lord's Day 40 of the Heidelberg Catechism, Lord's Day 40. And we confess there the word of God as follows. What does God require in the sixth commandment? I am not to dishonor, hate, injure, or kill my neighbor by thoughts, words, or gestures, and much less by deeds, whether personally or through another. Rather, I am to put away all desire of revenge. Moreover, I am not to harm or recklessly endanger myself. Therefore, also the government bears the sword to prevent murder. But does this commandment speak only of killing? By forbidding murder, God teaches us that he hates the root of murder, such as envy, hatred, anger, and desire of revenge, and that he regards all these as murder. Is it enough then that we do not kill our neighbor in any such way? No. When God condemns envy, hatred, and anger, he commands us to love our neighbor as ourselves, to show patience, peace, gentleness, mercy, and friendliness toward him, to protect him from harm as much as we can, and to do good even to our enemies. So far, our confession. Brothers and sisters in the Lord and boys and girls who belong to the Lord, if you follow the news lately, it seems as if uh, killing, uh, shedding of blood is the order of the day. Killing in Syria, Iraq, Nigeria, Palestine, where, else, where not else. It's, it's depressing to hear the statistics of how many people have been killed in this conflict over the past month or in that conflict. In North America, though, too, People lose their self-control and in their, their anger about the raw deal they got, they figured they got in life, they go out and get a gun and shoot other people at random. But think also of the taking of unborn life and the push to accept the right to assisted suicide in our own country, the right to take your own life as if we have the right to take the life which God alone gives. But Jesus Christ brings the matter of murder from the large to the smaller and then really close. In the passage we read in Matthew 5, he brings it home. It's murder that takes place at an even more furious pace than in Syria or so. I'd hate to read the stats on this kind of murder. It doesn't even involve the actual shedding of blood. You commit this murder without lifting a finger. But our Savior puts it in the same category as the actual taking of someone else's life. In the, within the same commandment 
And that's murder in your heart by your attitude or emotion. Our Lord was obviously thinking of things like hatred, anger, envy, and desire of revenge, as we also confess that in Lord's Day 40 then. And that brings us to the sixth commandment, you shall not murder. That brings it right home to each and every one of us, doesn't it? For if this commandment also includes hateful thoughts, angry emotions, harsh words, then we're all actually in serious contravention here of this commandment. Because who hasn't? Who hasn't done those things? We all need the grace of forgiveness in Christ. And we all need to keep praying fervently daily for the Spirit to cleanse our hearts, don't we? Well, that's exactly why the Lord Jesus explained this commandment as he did. He wanted to show that's what he wanted to show when he spoke the words of Matthew 5. Wanted to bring us to him and to seek his forgiveness and spirit. And with that in mind, I proclaim to you the word of God as we confess that in Lord's Day 40. With this theme then, you shall not murder. And we pay attention to the heart of murder. And secondly, the renewed heart. First of all, the heart of murder. You've heard that it was said to those of old, you shall not murder, and whoever murders will be in the danger of the judgment. Jesus puts forward the sixth commandment in its literal sense here. Someone who puts another person to death will, would be answerable to the courts of law, to judgment. It's clear from the Old Testament that God accepted capital punishment, war, and self-defense. What this commandment means in its literal sense is the intentional taking of life for selfish or capricious reason. You see, behind the sixth commandment is the truth that life is given by God. He has the say when to take it again. God even redeems life. As all life is potentially redemptible. So think, of, think here of Genesis 9, verse 6, 2, where it says whoever sheds man's blood by man shall his blood be shed for in the image of God he made man that was actually God's establishment of civil authority God gives man the right to take the life of someone who murders in the context of civil government and court of law courts had to determine whether murder had been committed but the point here is that God made man in his image he made man to have a relationship with him and that's life. To have a relationship with God is life. And that's why it's so wrong to murder. You take away a person's potential or ability to enjoy the relationship with his maker and his redeemer. That's how it's sin against God. And that's why the severe punishment, death. And sadly, by the way, when a government gives up the capital punishment, it basically begins to lose its authority too, by the way. Well, so far, the people listening to Jesus about murder on the side of that mountain there, they were thinking of murder in the literal sense, and they would have agreed. That was how the teachers of the law and the rabbis in the past had taught them the law according to the literal sense. 
And at that point, the scribes and the Pharisees listening there too would have said, Amen, Amen. We're against murder. We've been taught by them of old, by the rabbinical tradition, that murder is an evil thing. In fact, though they did not commit murder, the, the thought that they did, com they did not commit murder was the one way in which they convinced themselves that they were righteous. We wouldn't murder. We would never kill anybody. And so they were not murdering, and that was one of their favorite ways to justify themselves, their self-righteousness. But Jesus was about to turn their thinking upside down. He said, verse 22, But I say to you that whoever is angry with his brother without a cause shall be in danger of the judgment. And whoever says to his brother, Raka, shall be in danger of the council. But whoever says, you fool, shall be in danger of hellfire. With those words, the Lord Jesus teaches that attitudes precede actions. And they're part of the action then. Since we're, we're thinking, feeling human beings with will and choice, our attitudes and intentions are in fact the key to our actions. And it's in this area that we come face to face with murder inside each one of us, in our hearts. Because the way Jesus explains the Sixth Commandment, we all have to admit that we have violated at least in our hearts. if not by harsh words to others, at least the thoughts, hard thoughts. Because Jesus cuts through to the real issue here, as also confessed in Lord's Day 40, attitudes can be as harmful as actions. They precede actions. They lay the, lay the groundwork for action to follow. And even if those attitudes don't have the opportunity to come to words or deeds, they make us just as guilty before God as if we had committed the deed, he says. Whoever is angry with his brother without a cause shall be in danger of the judgment, says the Lord Jesus. Attitudes and feelings of anger, pride, arrogance, envy, desire of revenge, which percolate in our hearts from time to time, deserve the same kind of judgment as the act of murder. The same word is used. There is more than one way to murder somebody. Attitudes can also kill. Anger, which doesn't even maybe show on the outside, even if they only bring you to ignore another person. Give them the silent treatment. What you actually think in your heart is that life would be better without that person. By the, by the way, there is righteous anger. There is righteous anger. Jesus was angry at the Pharisees and also with the scribes and the people who bought and sold in the temple courts, for instance. He was upset. They were sinning against God. But there's a lot of unrighteous anger. Anger without cause, as it says in the text here. The word Jesus used for being angry here indicates a brooding, nursed anger 
that is not allowed to die, an anger that just smolders on and on. We become upset because of something someone said or did against us personally, and we hold on to that way past the due date. And that in time becomes the anger without cause Jesus was talking about. The anger puts one in danger of judgment. That kind of anger puts us in danger of God's judgment. It's interesting the emphasis Jesus places on those negative attitudes towards others as they also show in words. Because he also progresses to words then. Take, for instance, that arrogant attitude which might lead somebody to say in those days, raka to a brother or a sister. Raka means stupid. So when you in anger call somebody a name like stupid, you call someone stupid, check your attitude. Words like that are indicative of arrogance, bitterness, hatred. Maybe the person did something rash, acted thoughtlessly, hurt you. But watch your own heart then, for by your attitude in response, you can make the sin bigger. You can even commit a worse sin than the person committed against you. Notice that Jesus condemns that kind of attitude that comes to words as worthy of the judgment of murder. And then he goes on to say that, that the attitude which causes someone to call another person a fool makes one liable to the punishment of hell, of eternal punishment. Really strong words here. The Lord Jesus uses very powerful words. You go around to other people talking about someone whose deeds or words irritate you and you slander them. Uh, what a fool he is. Slander their rep reputation to others. You try to get others to also despise them. You're trying to work them out of society by that. You try to isolate them from relationships with others. Jesus condemns an attitude like that expressed in contemptuous words to others. It places one in the danger of hellfire, he says. We can shoot somebody with bullets made of lead, but also bullets made of words. Both come from a hateful heart. The heart of murder is the heart. Congregation, Jesus' words would cut deeply in each one of us, wouldn't they? all of us, because we all have to examine our hearts here for that smoldering, smoldering anger inside. And that person, every time I see that person, it just smolders inside me, insulting words thrown at others in anger, at home or at work maybe. What a fool for denigrating some, somebody to others out of out of anger, envy. He has something I don't have and that bothers me. Those things come so easily to us all, don't they? That kind of attitude in our hearts actually constitutes murder before the judgment seat of God, says Jesus. It puts in danger of judgment of hell, he even says. Unless we repent, and you realize how often we need to repent, unless we repent unless we seek the forgiveness of those sins in Jesus Christ and the renewal of our hearts by his Holy Spirit. 
And you realize then how urgently we all need to seek that forgiveness through him and how fervently we have to pray for the Spirit every day again. We come to the second part of the sermon this afternoon, the renewed heart. Congregation, in that section we read in Matthew 5, Jesus goes on to show how our attitudes impact our worship of him. Now look at verses 23 and 24. He says there, Therefore, if you bring your gift to the altar, and there remember that your brother has something against you, leave your gift there before the altar, and go your way. First be reconciled to your brother, and then come and offer your gift. Every Israelite was familiar with that whole ritual of offering sacrifices to atone for sin. They knew that sin separated them from God, broke the relationship with him, the offering of the sacrifice restored that relationship with God. And, and what Jesus is saying here, he's, what he's pointing out here, is that a right relationship with God also depends on our willingness to maintain a right relationship with one another. If we're not really willing to live in a right relationship with our brothers and sisters, if we're not willing to be reconciled to them and doing everything we can to be reconciled with them, we are putting our relationship with God in danger. Of course, that was nothing new in Israel. Jesus wasn't actually saying a lot of new things here. The Jews should have realized this was always God's standard. You know, the, the prophet Isaiah had already proclaimed this too, for instance, uh, other prophets too, and but, for instance, in Isaiah 58, verses 5 and 6, let me read those verses for you. Is it a fast that I have chosen, a day for a man to afflict his soul? The Lord is thinking here of the Sabbath, Sabbath rest, keeping from, from work and other activities on the Sabbath as a, as, a, as a fast. He says, is it to bow down his head like a bulrush and to spread out sackcloth and ashes? Would you call this a fast and an acceptable day to the Lord? Is this not the fast that I have chosen? To loose the bonds of wickedness, to undo the heavy burdens, to let the oppressed go free, and that you break every yoke? Is it not to share your bread with the hungry, and so on? In other words, the Lord is saying, don't come to me with phony worship. Because if there isn't love for the brothers in the heart, then your worship of me is phony. Your worship of me is not true if your relationship with any of your brothers or sisters is not right. If you don't have a merciful and forgiving and loving relationship with them. What's needed for you to have a right relationship with me is repentance from wrong relationship with others. And notice that the Lord Jesus in Matthew 5 wasn't even talking about you being angry with your neighbor, but knowing that your neighbor was angry with you. You did something to make them angry, upset. You know there's something between you, so you go and reconcile. Do you see how important it is that we have right relations then? The Lord God isn't interested in us offering worship here unless it involves also offering a contrite and repentant heart. How can we sit here and sing and pray and give gifts in church and listen to God's word if we allow bitterness and anger to keep festering between brothers and sisters. 
How can we remember Christ's death together at, at the Lord's Supper celebration if animosity just hangs there and we haven't gone all the way we can to resolve that? Our worship becomes a sham if the acrimony continues. Resolve things here, the Lord Jesus says toward the end of what we read. Resolve things here before it's too late and it ends up before God's judgment seat. You see, congregation, we need to constantly be putting to death the murderer inside each one of us in our hearts. We need to continually repent from that attitude of lovelessness, envy, arrogance, pride, vengeance. Those attitudes, after all, are the root of murder, and God judges them as murder, and they wreck our relationship with him. Humble repentance, humble repentance, congregation, which consists of acknowledging our sins and shortcomings, bringing them to Christ seeking the strength of his spirit to put them to death and to live a new life. That's what's needed. And who has not been, who hasn't been angry without cause? Maybe called somebody a name, maybe under your breath. Who hasn't said nasty things to or about father or mother or husband or wife? What parent has not had to deal with saying things in anger to a child. Which worker or boss has not become frustrated at work and carried bad feelings around in their hearts? Who hasn't thought, I'm gonna get you for that? Who hasn't felt pangs of envy and resentment that others get what they did not get? Every single one of us has to humble ourselves here, don't we? And the question, of course, is whether we're truly willing to repent of those sinful attitudes from the heart. Sadly, we're inclined to want to keep those murderous attitudes alive. We're angry, and we enjoy being angry. Somebody has wronged us, in our opinion, and to justify ourselves, we cultivate long-term anger and bitterness against that person. Don't talk to me about them. And that anger sometimes even becomes like a, a little pet. It makes you feel good. It energizes you. So you cherish it. You hang on to it. You convince yourself that it's justifiable when it is not justifiable anymore for a long time. If we're not willing to repent of those kind of feelings, Congregation, the Lord Jesus puts it so plain. We end up before his judgment seat, under his judgment. We're murderers in our hearts, in God's sight, just as much as people in prison who are convicted of shedding somebody's blood. It's serious. It's serious. And that's Jesus' whole point here. That's the whole point he wanted to show he wanted us to see the real seriousness of what lives in our hearts. The envy, hatred, anger, and desire of revenge before God that can live in our hearts, that we can hang on to. He wants each of us to continually 
search his or own, her own heart for those kinds of attitudes and feelings and repent of them. Pray that God will open our eyes to those kind of sins against the sixth commandment and seek forgiveness through the blood of Christ who has murdered for us. And then ask for the spirit he obtained for us by his death to renew our hearts, to put those attitudes to death in us, and to let the love of Christ live in us. As it says, 1 John 3, 14 to 16, we know that we have passed from death to life because we love the brethren. He who does not love his brother abides in death. Whoever hates his brother is a murderer. And you know that no murderer has eternal life abiding in him. And by this we know love because Christ laid down his life for us. And we also ought to lay down our lives for the brethren. Amen. Let us pray. Gracious Father in heaven, you know all our hearts. And we pray that you help us to take your good commandment to heart. Your commandment against murder. From what the Lord Jesus said in his Sermon on the Mount, we realize we're pretty prone to it in our hearts. How often haven't we thought and said hard things to others? Even in anger also. Frustration broken down instead of building up. Forgive us all our sins against this commandment. Forgive us through Christ, who let himself be murdered for us. Let his spirit live in us then, so that we learn to love more all the time. That we learn to control our emotions and to remember that the other person was created in your image too, and that his or her life is from you. Help us then not to also not to put up a shield around ourselves, but to be open to others and willing to be vulnerable, to love with vulnerability, knowing that you have given us life in Christ and nobody Nobody can take that away from us. Hear us, we pray, for Jesus' sake. Amen. Let's sing together Psalm 19, stanzas 3 and 6.